Jesus is saying, hands down, you know, I've come to set the oppressed free. I believe Jesus unapologetically would have made room for people like you and me and other black and brown individuals with no questions asked. How does a black female pastor lead her largely white congregation in a time of recognized racial divisiveness? What does the term dangerous sermons mean? How is this congregation learning to unite with their black and brown brothers and sisters to call out injustice? These questions and more we'll explore while getting real immersed in truth. the grid podcast getting real immersed in truth intersecting hard conversations with the gospel we seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us i'm your host robrina Ruddle. this is an episode four of our series conversations in black and white today i'm speaking to a black female pastor of a majority white congregation my guest is pastor kirstie engel she is the pastor of first united methodist church in lincoln nebraska welcome pastor kirstie Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Uh, we have common ground, and what we have in common is we have a mutual friend, JL, who is a member of your praise and worship team at First Methodist. And I attended the Ash Wednesday service to see her sing, although I'm not Methodist, and it was my first Ash Wednesday service. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised to see you at the pulpit. And uh, yeah, we I met. I pleasantly surprised to see you too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we met after service. So uh, yeah. So uh, I just wanted to find out a little more about you. One thing I'm curious about is uh, what did you do before becoming a pastor? Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and my mom is a school teacher, and she insisted on all of us being extremely educated. And so I ended up uh, going to Wichita State University in Kansas, and my Bachelor of Science is in Mechanical Engineering. So that's what I thought I was going to be. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. And when did you determine no, that's not the path. Well, for me, it was in the midst of a really hard divorce. And at the time I had, a, uh, my daughters are now 15 and 16, but they were six months old and uh, the other one was 19 months old. And I filed divorce and truly being a pastor is a calling. You know, I would have never imagined in a million years that the Lord would bring me to this spot but uh, long story short, I ended up uh, going through hard times, moving back home with my parents, 
who at the time were living in Winfield, Kansas. Mm. And I went back to the church that my grandparents are still members of, Bethel AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal in Winfield, Kansas. I saw my very first African-American woman, female pastor ever. And I let this home church and church just minister to my soul. No, it was no frills and whistles, but to see this woman, you know, advocate for love for all people, inclusion, justice, uh, God's love, it just spoke to me. And just mm -hmm. one day, you know, I just had that little voice inside that now I call and affirm is the Holy Spirit that says, mm -hmm. yes, I, I'm calling you to do um, something similar. And so here I am. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. Okay. So when you did, you decided to, you had to attend seminary. Yes. Okay. And you went to uh, campus? You went yes. on campus. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. And at, uh, in Tulsa, Phillips Theological Seminary, where I was able, since I had my bachelor's, I uh, was pursuing the Masters of Divinity is what it is. And now I'm studying for my uh, doctorate in homiletics, which is preaching, preaching the word. Mm. So. Okay, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a lot of work. It is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you have two kids, you're a pastor, and you're going for your PhD. Yep, you got your hands full there. And I have two stepchildren as well, so we have a full house. Oh, wow. And uh, so you said your your girls are 15 and 16? Yes. And then how old are your stepchildren? Uh, my stepson is nine, and my stepdaughter is 12. And so we... Uh, they're with us uh, one week on, one week off. So mm -hmm. it really feels like we have all of the children pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when you went to school, how many females were in your class? Uh, surprisingly in the master's program, it was um, a good amount of females coming up in the ranks, you know, so I'm really grateful for all of the women, both uh, white and black, who have paved the way. So in the master's program, um, I would say it's like a, it almost felt like 50-50. Mm. But now in the doctorate program, since my emphasis, and this, this may be a kicker, since the emphasis is preaching and, you know, it's that strong leadership position, um, last semester in my specialized preaching course, I was the only female and then this semester, it's just me and one other female. And oh, then wow. the rest men. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's something. Okay. So with the one that you're going to for the PhD, do you, is that one usually online or because we're in COVID, things are a little different? Yeah. COVID made it different. It's normally I have to do what they call a fortnight. So I go up two weeks a semester, basically. And I, oh. I have to get like a... Airbnb or whatever and just stay there and just and then we have pre-coursework before we get to class and then maybe right. a couple of final papers when we get home. Okay. Okay. And so now though in COVID, is, is it just all online? It is all online and yeah. it feels definitely like more work uh, the way they structured it. Yes. Uh, like I, I, I feel like I'm in school for two months now because yeah. they pick it up in two hour increments every day. Oh. You know, so yeah, it's been an adjustment, definitely. 
Yeah, it is interesting. Online work does feel like more or busier or something. My kids did not like that online transition, either one. Savannah's in college. She was her first year of college and she was quite frustrated with the online. And then same with Satchel. He actually needs a lot of interaction. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's been a little bit of a challenge, but I guess we all can say that in this day and age, we are having to rise to the challenge. Yes. Amen. It is hard. It's very difficult for our kids as well. So, Mm -hmm. Yes. Y'all always say the class of 2020, they're the baddest class there is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. They have had to go through so much. (laughs) Yes. Wow. I I agree. Okay. So um, I wanted to ask about people of color in your schooling. Were there before in your master's program. I know you went to Tulsa and I'm familiar with Oklahoma. I actually hail from Texas mostly. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm familiar with that area, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, all that. And so I understand the diversity is a little higher than what we're accustomed to here. Uh, But I was just wondering, so how many people of color did you have in your class? So um, I'm attending the same seminary for both the master's and the doctorate program. And I am sad to report that over seven years ago is when I did my master's. It was about just as many African-American students then as it is in my uh, doctorate program. And I would say um, it's like barely, I mean, (laughs) 1%, 2% is very low. Oh, wow. And so are you the only black female then and your PhD? Nope. Uh, there is another one um, oh. that's with me. So that's been nice too. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> okay. Y'all have a sisterhood. Yes, we do. And we've had, and ironically, I've been with her in my master's program. So it's just sort of amazing how we've uh, stepped back onto this journey at the same time. That is you know? something. And there's a, a pretty significant age difference, but here we are. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. Okay, so uh, I wanted to ask you about your congregation. Now, the service I went to, it's not the full service uh, that I attended. And I have actually watched a couple of your uh, sermons online that you've been doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess they are out there, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I go through a few different ones uh, just to see, you know, what everyone's talking about, especially now. And the time that we're in, a lot of unrest and struggles, a lot of hurting, pain. So I just want to see how how are people addressing, you know, what's going on now? COVID, the racial unrest and unveiling of what's been going on in America. So um, anyway, so I have watched a few of your sermons and I do appreciate uh, the way you handle things, but I know that your congregation is mostly white. Am I correct to say that? Yes. Okay. So are you the first Black female to shepherd this congregation? Yes, female. They have had one Black male many, many moons ago who would have been older, not you know, like kind of, I think maybe approaching that middle age, maybe. And um, 
I will say, because this is a church that um, identifies as a reconciling church, uh, meaning they are really big on social justice for all people, uh, I feel like they are ready for diversity in the pulpit. And so I, I am pleased to say that the first UMC Lincoln community, I haven't really noticed any um, issues with my leadership. And I'm very aware, so I'm not, you know, wearing, I'm wearing glasses today, obviously, but not rose-colored glasses. Right, so, so, right. Um, I haven't picked up those nuances in this setting. And I, I just uh, completed my first year uh, on July 1st. So things have been pretty, pretty good for me. Okay, is this the first, this isn't the first church you shepherd? No, um, as a senior pastor, yes. Um, but okay. uh, my first church was downtown Lincoln. And oh. uh, I would have been their first uh, female and um, African-American as the associate there. And I, I did notice uh, just some transitions that needed to happen. Um, they were very uh, loving and open as well. But I, I'm just getting a, a different vibe from my current context than the one before. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had to do a little more education um, with the downtown church, which mm -hmm. is not a bad thing, but you could just really tell that I was laying down a foundation of, of, of you know, just them getting to know me and what does it mean to be African-American and me getting to know them. Whereas here, I just didn't really feel like I had to do a lot of that groundwork. Right. All. Right. So. Okay. So I, I want to kind of want to go back to that when you said nuances, mm -hmm. what are some of the nuances? Cause I understand what you mean. Also being a black woman, there's, mm -hmm. there's certain things that vibes right. that you get. Uh, there's certain facial expressions. There's just a certain way of a turn of a phrase right? that you understand that, okay, this person doesn't have much experience with either people of color in general or with black people. Right. So what type of nuances would you say you have picked up and felt that you had to educate on? My hair <laughs> was the first, <laughs> and not in this context. This is, this is the things I look for. And I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends on how you feel about it, but every African-American woman in that cross-cultural setting, inevitably, people are gonna inquire about you know, your hair, and I change my hairstyles a lot. And so there would be a lot of questions of curiosity around that in my first context. In this church, I just don't get that same vibe at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. They um, just accept, oh, she got a different kind of hair yeah, today. Exactly. And it's been so refreshing. So, so, so refreshing um, in this context. I don't feel like I've had to explain my appearance in any way, shape, or form. Um, also, some nuances that I've experienced in the past is uh, with my rate of speech. In my first context, uh, I always received feedback that um, sometimes they just didn't understand me or the sound system didn't catch uh, the right um, tonation of my voice. Um, and that was really frustrating. It almost gave me a complex mm. where I never wanted to preach again. And oh, I wow. felt like I had to reinvent myself. With this church, no. I've only had one individual and he is elderly and i'm i'm gonna give him a pass on that right. because i believe 
that is more of a, a literally auditory situation versus not being able to understand me. So there's just some nuances that, and maybe you as an African-American woman, you can pick up on that as well, where people kind of look at you with, you know, and, or say rude things. And thank God I haven't had to deal with that in my context. And I think that has been very, very helpful for me. And I am an open book, so I'm not, I don't hold up. I try not to have defensive walls up. So right. if questions were to come to me, I would definitely take the time to, to answer those questions. I'm just grateful they've never come. So Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not something you want to be self-conscious of. Like you don't want to have to, because it's you, it's part of who you are, your, the way you speak, your tone of voice, your hair, it's all part of you, your culture, right. uh, you know, it's just, you're like, this is just me. Like, wh why am I having to explain myself? Yes. And um, I think what America is starting to see in the living wild black scenarios is just your mere existence being questioned for everything that you do. You want to go golfing. Oh, they're golfing too slow. Call the police. You know, it's just some ridiculous things. Right. And um, so it's just a, a question of your, your existence. So it's really um, encouraging to hear that you don't have to deal with that. And I would tell it, I, I hope you don't think I'm painting like this amazing picture. I, I mean, I am really blessed where I am because I know what it feels like not to be received. So yes. it's just really been a, a, a tremendous blessing for me. Yeah. You know, when I noticed when I went to that service and it was the smaller group, mm -hmm. but they really seemed to rally around you. I was not only was I listening to you, but I was watching the congregation, just kind of looking around to, you know, see how they were receiving your message. And they, it, it doesn't appear that it doesn't matter that you are a woman. It doesn't matter if you're a black woman, you are at the pulpit and I am receiving your message. And I thought, oh, it's really nice. You know, they just accept you and respect you and respect the position that you're in. They do. I'm almost getting emotional thinking about it because I don't know what did I do to, well, I've had a hard life. So I'm like, maybe this is God blessing me finally to, <laughs> to be able to <laughs> just do God's work without having to have my guard up. Mm, mm -hmm. But yes, they have just been so amazing. And mm. uh, from day one, I just, I'm just so thrilled. And, but part of it is people say I have a lot of energy and they say that I make it easy for them to come in. Mm. So I don't know if, if it's a personality. And then I've been in Lincoln for a while. I, I do, I'm not going to lie. I do tend to wonder, Robrina, if like, you know, so I've, I've been in Lincoln now, this is going on my fifth year. I wonder though, if, if my reputation didn't precede itself because think about it like both churches were kind of very close mm. um, and and what i mean by that is everybody knows everybody and right. so there was a lot of people from my first context that were actually cheerleading and championing me on mm -hmm. before i even got there so i don't know if some of that uh, uh great receptiveness could have been because of just you know people talking mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it, it seems like this particular church, though, one thing I did notice is as I was reading the uh, bulletin or the upcoming events, they seem to educate themselves on racial issues or uh, racial, <clears throat> excuse me, racial injustices. Yes. Because one of the classes that they were giving, I, I don't know if it was the class or maybe they were just showing the movie Just Mercy. Yep. And I remember being struck by that. I was like, oh, wow, that is. Did when they see us, Robrina, that was my first Bible study <laughs> on the Netflix. Wow. <laughs> I just that is... Yeah. That is really good because I, I need to take that class. <laughs> because mm-hmm. for you to be able to break down what is happening to these young men and what does the Bible say about this? Okay, so the Bible speaks a lot about injustice. Yes. And I'm, it perplexes me how people cannot see what is going on in our society, one, as being relevant to the Bible, and then two, as something that God is talking to us about. And Very he, Yes. <laughs> Yeah, say that again. No parable on that one. Yeah, Jesus is saying, hands down, you know, I've come to set the oppressed free. Yes, so exactly. There's no, parable, there's no commentary that one would need to use to dissect that message. It is what it is. Yeah. Well, I have heard, I've heard people call it, and it's not the first time I've heard it. I've heard people call it a cultural gospel. And I'm like, well, Jesus did engage with culture. Yes. I mean, he was there to engage with culture, to bring people to him who are lost. And usually they're lost in their culture. And so uh, I'm, I am perplexed on how people don't see, like, what, how is this relating or how is it relative and then i i don't understand how they don't want to speak on it all i i don't understand how you can be in the midst of what we're going through in this day and age and choose not to walk your people shepherd your people through this so that they can shine the light of christ on it and that they can walk into the lives of other people who may be lost Mm-hmm. and help them find their way to Christ. That perplexes. I am not a theologian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never been a seminary, but this is very confusing to me. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, all through scripture, even when the disciples wanted to make it all about, for instance, the Jews, if you notice, Jesus always uh pushed against that um, and uh, included the Gentiles. And so for me, Gentiles uh, could be extrapolated to, you know, and if we put it in our global situation today, I believe Jesus unapologetically would have made room for people like you and me and other black and brown individuals with no questions asked. So, Mm -hmm. yes, but it is going to take a call for a new type of a theology preached in the pulpit. And so if you've heard me, you know, I definitely have a liberation theology slant to every message that I preach. I mean, that's the type of uh, messages that are going to have to be preached in order to change that narrative. Mm -hmm. Which if we talk about freedom in Christ, liberation is part of that freedom. Absolutely. 
I've heard this term liberation theology before. To give context, when I looked it up, I found its meaning to be the overall concern of marginalized people, concern for their social, political, and economic equality and justice. And I am also, I feel called to preach beyond the Exodus experience, because of course, you know, in our African-American context, we do really tend to uh, identify with the Israelite children in the wilderness. And that's not a bad thing. But what I try to share is that that narrative of uh, people, uh, Jesus being for the oppressed and the, um, and the marginalized goes way past the book of Exodus. It goes oh, for sure. all the way to Revelation. So yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm like, yeah, I feel like that is my charge, my call. And so, yeah, that, that, that's what we do. And yes, our church, we have small groups. We're getting ready to start a team right now that is, uh, we're partnering with another church, I think in Alabama, where they're having a uh, uh, difficult racial talks. And, and I love it because my congregation is exposed to now African-American people throughout the U.S. And so um, Dr. John Spilker, who is uh, a, a tenured pr professor at NWU, Nebraska Wesleyan University, he's on my, my staff and he's leading those weekly discussions as well. And, um, you know, with another pastor of a of a church in Alabama. So I just think it's great. My congregation is hungry. They're hungry to live out this reconciling mission, which is love for all people. So they are literally educating themselves and stretching themselves. And my sermons, if you've, as you've heard them, are not um, you know, cookie cutter ser sermons. They have some hard, hard uh, you know, uh, charges in there and they have never shrinked away from anything that I've preached um, when it concerns to racial justice and um, equity for all people. So. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow, you you just answered my next question, which was, <laughs> <laughs> it was how has your congregation responded to the unrest, protests, and unveiling of racial injustice? I think in they want me to go further. I can say that. I think they want me to go further. I think that they can still tell and if i'm honest i'm beginning my second year there and right now in my um in my doc doctorate program i was wondering if i had the book i i, I moved it they're teaching us how to preach dangerous sermons mm. and um i will say that i'm i'm in the season now of being even more authentic in in that voice i will say i i definitely have held back because, you know, it's only been year one. And so I'm taking the congregation on a journey with me to, you know, I kind of do a little bit here, a little bit there, see how that, you know, um, nurtures the soul and we keep mm. going further. So mm -hmm. I think if, if they could wave a magic wand, truth be told, I think that they will celebrate the day when I'm able to be full on Kirsty. Mm. I think mm -hmm. they can probably sense that I'm not there yet but I'm excited because I know I will get there. It's just all about, you know, building relationships and, and making sure that comfort level is there. Right. Cause everyone may not be in the same place. Nope. And no. so you're just making sure you're doing building blocks Absolutely. basically, uh, which is what we need to do as a country. You know, we need to educate first. And then once you understand what's happening, reflect mm -hmm. on you know, well, where was I while all this has been happening? And then repent of any complicity <laughs> mm -hmm. 
mm. that we may have had in this. And then now what? Like, what action do I take? What steps do I take? How do I love practically in this area? Yeah, I see this time as a revival for the church. Um, things that we don't do well, let's do better in. Uh, let's admit it and do better. And so I, that's where I think that I see your uh, people going towards. Yeah, I think that the fact that you are partnering with another church and a church in Alabama, that's, uh, that says a lot. I mean, that to me says that they are ready. They want they want to hear it because some people aren't there. I, I can't hear it. It's too much. Like I can only take this little bit that I know already because I can't take the rest. Well, unfortunately, we have to take it all right because we already know it all right and we have to continually take it and so you know pardon that we do not have pity upon you that you can't take it we will pray that the lord will give you the grace to take it you know and then build upon that the willingness to build upon that this time to me is so interesting because, you know, we talk about missions work as in going out or going away to another country and that country is much poorer. We are spiritually poor here in the United States. We are rich. Yes. in so many material ways and not even, but not everyone is rich in material ways. Some kids only eat, which is why they still give those meals out. Mm-hmm. They only eat what the school is giving them. But for some reason, some of us don't want to see that. And we see everyone as well as we are. But the mission is here. Like while we're on lockdown, we're on mission. That's how I look at it. Yes. And words matter even more, it seems to me, as we're on lockdown. It's Mm. like, People are are really hanging on to every bit of rhetoric. They are looking. I, even myself, I'm, I'm I'm consistently looking for stories to continue to educate myself, and I find myself just in that listening space. So I mm. think the time mm-hmm. really is now um, to make sure that uh, people of color are are really strategic and intentional about how we uh, share our story mm. and how we come together uh, with both black and white and all, all races uh, to move towards justice because justice needed to happen like yesterday. This narrative is getting old. It really is. <laughs> that is yes, it is. It's old for us, but yes. it's new to a lot of people. It is brand new. And so it's like you want to have enough grace to give them time to catch up, but you want them to be putting in the work to try to catch up. Like, don't just be passive. You have to put in the work. And when you put in the work, more than likely I will share my story. As you said, be strategic because I see you putting in the work. But if you're just kind of like laying around there not really caring, but you kind of want to hear my story, I don't see that you're invested. Yes, and in in my congregation, I haven't witnessed this, but the reality is there are some people who still uh, don't believe that racism even exists anymore. They think it has resolved. I don't know, did it magically resolve itself with Martin Luther King Jr.? He was amazing, but no, it did not end with that. I Mm -hmm. I mean, so 
that's that's what's really frustrating is for the the section of society who would say who would suggest that racism isn't even a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that they don't understand the underlying intricacies of the system because mm-hmm. the system found ways around civil rights movement and the civil rights act you know they found ways around it and um that's what i think people don't realize or understand because it's like the facade you know the outside it looks like everything's going great we don't have separate bathrooms anymore we don't have separate water fountains you know And so everyone gets the the job on the same merit, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then there's systems going on behind the scenes of that facade that I don't think that they're privy to. And so they don't believe when you try to explain it to them. I'm like, nah, (laughs) that that can't be. Yeah. I did want to ask you a question about your dangerous sermons. I find that interesting. How do they define a dangerous sermon? Sermons that people shrink away from, like some people don't want to hear about racism um, and some people don't want to hear about, you know, swastikas, you know, painted on trees. They don't, mm. they don't want those kind of conversations, some people. My, my church, again, I think my context is a blessing you know, reconciling church really seeks out justice for all who are oppressed, literally mm-hmm. almost every um, system you can think of in every person. So I think maybe this is why I feel a freedom that maybe others may not feel mm-hmm. you know, in the pulpit to share. So mm-hmm. dangerous sermons are just sermons that need to be preached in the in the pulpit, but for whatever reason, the preacher doesn't have the faith or the courage to do so. They're concerned about the emails and the calls to the district superintendents and maybe even being ran out of their church. Um, Oh, wow. I have a colleague right now, um, uh, he's a white male and because he is preaching Black Lives Matter, he's had to meet with his district superintendent um, several times already because the church is not happy. Well, you know, I think that people confuse the okay, the organization Black Lives Matter, some people don't agree with their politics, okay? The statement Black Lives Matter, you should be agreeing with. And for me, it's about Black Lives Matter, the organization would not have been created if you were treating people justly and with equity. So they are a consequence of what has occurred years and years in our country, uh, police brutality and racial injustice. So yeah, for me, it's like, uh, well, it happened because of what's been happening. And so I'm going to say Black Lives Matter. (laughs) I mean, with the 4th of July, the reality is we can't really celebrate a freedom and say that all lives matter when black lives are overlooked, when our black men are not even making it to the courtroom with the jury of his peers or her peers. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
the, mm -hmm. the substances are already coming out in the parking lot as the blood is screaming from the concrete. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think people have forgotten um, that there is a, 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 a even if, say, for instance, with some of our black and brown people, say if they did commit a crime, say if that's the case, there is supposed to be a judicial process. Right. And so when that is ended in, say, a parking lot, for instance, mm -hmm. um, that is not how our judicial process is designed. Right. So that is scary to me that um, they're not meeting before a judge and a jury of their peers, they're meeting before the mortician, unfortunately. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, definitely understand the humanity part of it. Yeah. Well, this has been very great, enlightening conversation. Wow. And it's when you're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Well, if you will have me again, I would love to do a segment on women in the church. And I'd love to have you back to talk about you being a preacher, female in the church, and some of the experiences that you have had. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll have a little more time under my belt the next time we speak. So absolutely. But this has been a joy. Thank you for the dialogue. It's been very meaningful. It's been meaningful to me, too. And you all who have been following our uh, episodes know that usually I do speak to a white person because it's series is conversations in black and white, and I'm the black, but this time we wanted a black and a black person because of the type of congregation that uh, Pastor Ingle is shepherding. So I just wanna thank you very much and I wanna thank your congregation for being awake and wanting to be alive in Christ in this. And I'm praying that our other brothers and sisters in the faith, even if you belong to a different denomination, that you too will want to be awakened and walk alive in Christ and uh, see the humanity of what's going on around you here to help us reconcile and be free in Christ. Till next time, may God's love, mercy, and grace be upon you. In the show notes, you can find Pastor Kirstie's sermons on www.firstumclincoln.org or Facebook under First United Methodist Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your pods. Connect with me on Instagram at Rubrina Rettle and my Grit Podcast Facebook page and my blog, RubrinaRettle.wordpress.com. The podcast is produced by me and Handcrafted Studios. Original music by Handcrafted Studios, composer Michael Coffey. Keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth.